So here we come to week two of our series on James, on Christ-centered faith and practical holiness. This week we look at listening, speaking, and responding to God's word from James chapter 1, verses 19 to 27, which we already heard read. There's a story that I came across lately. It's about a youth leader who took his kids to a ski resort where he saw two people skiing down the slopes, one behind the other. They were so close that it was almost as if they were tied together. When he got closer, he heard the one in the front saying in staccato fashion, left, right, straight, right, left. He thought it was a little funny and his kids were laughing at the sound of what looked like a ski instructor giving lessons to a student. So he thought he'd have a little fun with the student skier. He started yelling out different commands that contradicted the ski instructor's commands. When the person in front of him said, left, he yelled, right. When the person in front said, right, he yelled, left. And when the person in front said, straight, he said, curve. But no matter what the youth leader said, the student in the back seemed to be able to ignore his voice and fix on what the ski instructor said. Suddenly the skier stopped and turned around. And much to the embarrassment of the youth leader and the youth, on the chest of the second skier was a sign, blind skier. Even though he could not see anything, since he knew his instructor's voice, the blind skier could ignore all other voices, even those tempting and tormenting him, and go safely down those slopes. I believe that the youth leader and his Youth group learned a valuable lesson that day on the ski slope. Be slow to speak. One preacher asks his congregations to write every command and precept in the New Testament, which they never thought, they never thought, or they never intended to obey, and suggested that the book of James, and especially James chapter 1, 19 to 27, is a good place to start. So all those things that you read through scripture and it says, love your enemy and you have no intentions of loving your enemy, begin there and begin to form within yourself the Christ-centered faith. James makes a transition in our verses today from God's actions to human actions. We need to resist the temptation to turn the book of James into a book of do's and don'ts. James is not writing to us to become a follower of Christ, but to act like one, he already assumes to the churches that he is writing to that they've already made the decision to follow Jesus. James is concerned with that implanted word, that word of God that goes to work within our lives. And the first thing that he tells us about in our passage for today is the wisdom of listening properly. Hello? The wisdom of listening properly. What does the apostle begin his description of God's good gift of holiness and righteousness with the tongue, the ears, and the emotion, or anger? Why not begin, for example, with the heart, the eyes, the hands, the feet? See, the apostle James begins with the tongue because he's seen how immoral and destructive uncontrolled tongues can be. Hello? Everyone is so concerned with what they want to say that they fail to listen to each other. The scars we inflict on each other with our hands and with our feet, they're visible, they're identifiable. 
But the scars that we cause with our tongues are far less noticeable. But they're there. James wants us to cultivate a holy self-restraint. Hold it back like pulling back the horse. Hear what the Lord is saying. Hear what other people are saying. Don't assume. Don't run to conclusions. We also need to cultivate alertness. To be sober. And familiarity with the word of God and the word that others are saying. It's hard to hear Jesus if we're always the ones talking. Hello? It's hard to hear Jesus if we're always the ones that are talking. Just look at the minutes, that, the times that we have together in board meetings and other meetings when we are doing all the talking and we never break to hear God speak for, to us. See, the blind skier, he knew the difference between his instructor and the pranks of the youth leader. Listening is an art that the blind skier, skier excelled at. He knew the voice of his teacher. How good is your listening today? Do you know the voice of your teacher, of your rabbi? His name is Jesus Christ, isn't it? In the Hebrew Bible, we have that word Shema. Taken from Deuteronomy 6 and other places throughout, but mainly from there, where it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And Jesus added to that Deuteronomy 6 passage, Leviticus chapter 19, verse 2, and love your neighbor as yourself. See, for the Hebrew mind, for the Judaism that, that was the, the roots of Christianity, to hear was not just to listen, but it meant to listen, to hear, to understand, to respond, to obey. It's no use just listening without obedience. Listening well is contrasted by James with speaking improperly, with improper anger. See, if we listen well, the word becomes implanted in us, impregnated in us, and consequently, acts of mercy, compassion, passionate compassion, will begin to flow from us into our communities of faith and our communities outside the communities of faith. See, it's a known fact that people who talk a great deal are very apt to heat themselves by talking all the time. Just look at a newsreel of CNN or Fox or CBC or CTV or Global, any one of them, when you hear some of our leaders talk, they get riled up themselves by talking all the time. See, it's easy also to get angry in our world today, especially at the coronavirus. Angry at the world, angry at the virus, angry at the politicians, angry at the economy, angry, 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 and so on. But earlier on in James chapter 1, he emphasized the need for patience. Has anybody have any patience left within him? He emphasized for the follower of Jesus during times of sufferings and trials and temptations that we need to have patience. And anger is one of the things that happens when patience reaches its limits. We can't go on anymore. We can't take it anymore. And James is speaking to the church. Hello, he's speaking to us. What we say, how we say it, how we listen, how we react with our emotions. In our speech, see, when anger rules, it's hard for people to listen or even want to listen to sound advice. When anger rules, it's hard to be in the right and continue to have healthy relationships with one another. 
Anyone who's been married for a long time knows that listening is most difficult when we're angry at each other. And the same goes for the parent-child relationship. When we're angry at each other, we don't hear too well. And our speech reflects the anger that is boiling up within us. We suppose at times in the church that our burst of anger will somehow help God do what needs to be done. Some person said quite wisely, some people are so passionate with anger about their own religious opinions that they forget these words from the Apostle James. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Hello? We think we are doing something for God, but James says that anger that arises from within us does not produce what God desires. It might produce what we desire, which he already said earlier on in chapter 1, is what blows us from one end of the sea to the other seeds uh, of our world. See, being fast to speak, being fast to anger never helps anyone, hello? It creates disunity, it creates war, it creates chaos. James is writing in a circuitous fashion, always circling back to the same issue again and again. And he will bring this subject of speech and talk and tongue back up in chapter 3, and get, we'll get another crack at it of the destructive and the constructive power of the speech and selfish anger. You see, when you listen well, you speak well. And when you listen well and you speak well, patience keeps you calm. Hello? So the wisdom of listening properly, and then James takes us into the wisdom of doing. You know that people are just so happy to hear something, anything about Jesus. Oh, I can't wait till we get together. I can't wait to hear the word of the Lord. I can't wait to hear what, what we're going to hear today in the house of God. And then when they exit the building or they turn off the televisions and the, and the computers today as they're listening at home, the word that they've been listening to has no effect on their lives. No effect on their daily lifestyle. See, for James, hearing without obeying indicated self-illusion. Self-deception. We're deceiving ourselves. In the message, these are the words that we have in chapter 1. Don't fool yourself into thinking that you are a listener when you are anything but. Letting the word go in one ear and out the other. James says there, and Eugene Peterson paraphrases, act on what you hear. Examine yourself. Realize how easy it is to forget the Word of God. What did the pastor preach about this morning? That was a good message. What did he say? Uh, I forgot. I forgot. See, in James' day, there were mirrors for some of the people, but not all of the people. And he employs this metaphor of a mirror, of a person going to look in the mirror and forgetting what he looks like. That, that was a reality in those days because if you didn't have a mirror, you kind of forgot what you looked like because you're busy looking at everybody else but yourself. <laughs> but not in our age of selfies and smartphones and cameras everywhere. So people went through their whole life not knowing or remembering how they looked like. They forgot. It was easy to forget. And the same way James is saying that it's easy to lose the memory of the word of the Lord. 
It's easy to hear the word of the Lord and, and not apply it into our day-to-day lives. Someone said, don't substitute listening, knowing, good intentions. He says, want to is not the same as did. Did. D-I-D. Did. Want to is not the same as did. A few years back we said, it's not I have to, but I get to. But sometimes when we get that meaning, it's good that you get the meaning that I don't have to, but I get to. But sometimes it never flows into, I did it. You know, like that Nike commercial with that check mark. Just do it. Just do it. We need to move into the din of Christian faith, of following Jesus. And in our present day, people get so excited by the amount of views that they get on social media. But the amount of views that we get on social media doesn't reflect the depth of our Christ-likeness. Our interest is shallow, it's brief, it's nanoseconds. They tune us in for a couple of minutes and then they go tune somebody else in. God cares for more than our viewership, hello? God cares for more than our audioship for those who are still listening to sermons and audios and more than our readership. God is calling us to a life of obedience to care for each other. Don't just watch and listen. Do! Just do it. You know what I'm going to say, church? It's not about the response. It's about the response after the response. The listening that flows into a life of holy obedience unto the Lord our God. The contemporary church is full of people impressed by the beauty and the sound of Jesus' words. But they're only eager to commend them to others things that they will never do for themselves. Remember what that old test, that New Testament preacher said to his class and to his Bible study class? You know, everything that you read in the Bible that tells you to do something and, and those are the things that you don't want to do, go back to that place and begin to do them in the power of the Spirit. If you are who you say you are, a child of God, that the word of the truth has been implant, planted in you, impregnated with you, the holy seed of God, then live a life of faith that works. A life of faith that works. Not faith against works or works against faith. It's a faith that works. It functions. It's a do-it faith. The Holy Spirit conviction must be tied to action. And it, it must be rooted in Jesus Christ. See, obedience for the Apostle James is a joyous way of life. It's not burdensome. James is saying that the person who comes into the law of liberty, he writes there, has come in touch with a power that makes them want to obey, not to disobey the Lord. It's the internal law of freedom, of liberty, that produces a sense of freedom to do good as the Father does good, as Jesus went about doing good, as the Holy Spirit goes about doing good. It's the power of God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit, living and flowing in us, outside to those in our world. He has some discussion there, back in verse 21, about taking off and putting on and, and getting rid of immorality and putting on morality. You see, the, the life that God is calling to is a wisdom of doing. It's a practical life. It's evident. It's manifested in the actions that we do. 
That verse in, in chapter 1, verse 21, it said, Therefore get rid of self of all sordidness and rank growth of wickedness and welcome with meekness. That means be humble. The implanted word that has the power to save your souls. The power to save your souls. So the wisdom of listening properly, the wisdom of doing, and the wisdom of true religion. For James, obedience requires generosity. Pastor Betty dealt with every good gift comes from the Father above, the Father of lights. True holiness is not so much the absence of bad things as it is the presence of compassion and the passion for compassion, especially for the most needy in society, represented here through James' writings by orphans and widows who were too often left in poverty. There were no special government handouts in those days. Once your husband died, once your parents died, you were on your own. Probably taken into someone's house as a slave. James is concerned with the way we treat other people, especially the poor. He's concerned with the way we speak, with the way we listen, with the way we express ourselves, and with the actions we take to help them. See, those who live in the Word of God, the implanted Word of God within them, practice true religion. A life of compassion for the poor and vulnerable in the world. No favorites in the house. No favorites in the house of God. And Pastor Betty will deal with that next week. We are to look and care for the socially powerless. See, the hammer really falls in these verses 26 and 27 that are before you. Christian people who are all talk and no action, all creed and no deed, are simply deceiving themselves, James saying. Who do you think you're fooling? See, the implanted word of God leads to a life of compassion. Faith may come by hearing, and we evangelicals like to quote that verse, but we don't understand that hearing means listen, obey, and commitment and allegiance to God alone. It may come by hearing, but it certainly can't be retained by hearing alone. Truth must be obeyed. Faith must be lived out, not just studied. Not just studied. I was watching a YouTube with uh, the late Frederick Crandock, who was a homiletics teacher and a, a New Testament teacher, and he was speaking at a child advocacy institute. How uh, the people come up to the plate to take care for the orphans around the world. He spoke about a, an indigenous woman in the United States who adopted 57 children. 57! And he wondered how she could do that because not all of them come from good social backgrounds. And she gave him the response that we that are able should help those that are unable. That's a good thing to understand. That's, I think, what James is saying here that when you've been implanted with the Word of God, then that's Jesus Christ. When we're talking about wisdom here, proper listening, proper doing, proper religion, we're talking about Jesus. Jesus is wisdom personified, embodied. When we are able to help the unable, we need to do it and not just talk about it. But anyway, he got on the plane, he was at a Seventh-day Adventist was putting on the Child Advocacy Institute, which is not his denomination, but he was othering, we should say, fellowshipping with people that were different than himself. 
And he, he spoke there, he gave a good speak, and I watched it on YouTube. And then he closed with this illustration about his flight back from another engagement previously. So he's flying back home after a ministry trip. And he started having a conversation with a woman beside him. And pretty soon the conversation shifted and she began to complain about the preacher at her church. Because he said he was, in, he was hosted by a different denomination. And that kind of triggered her response. She said, my preacher, I was always preaching about othering. And Fred said, what's othering? And she said, my preacher preaches on every Sunday without end. We need to do more othering. What he means is get acquainted with people who are different than yourself. Establish friendship. Share in work and prayer and praise and everything together. Other people, the other. Get acquainted and deal with and relate to the other. He calls it othering. She goes on. He preaches on it every Sunday. And then she says, I'm so sick of his talk of othering. It's just a fad, she said. She got all bothered about it. Get to know someone different than yourself. Begin to love a stranger, love an enemy. Love another. I'll be glad when it all passes away. If he says one more word, she goes on, about othering, I'm going to throw up. I'm going to puke right there in the church. And Fred is sitting back calmly, slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to anger. And he says, it's not a fad. And she said, it's a fad. Look here. And she went to grab the airline magazine called Sky. And there was an article there, and the article was printed in three languages, English, Spanish, and Japanese. And she said, now look at that. The airline, even they think they are othering. And a few years ago, it would have been just in English, she says. Well, I wonder how many conversations we hear about this in Canada. And we'll get back to just having it in English. It's just a fad. It's not a fad, Fred said. It's as old as Christianity. And she said, what do you mean? And then Fred said, when Jesus died, Pilate put a sign on the cross. Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And it was written in Hebrew, it was written in Latin, and it was written in Greek. She didn't say another word. See, unlike the youth leader at the ski resort and the woman on the plane, the preacher was quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. He was a hearer and doer of the word. He othered by taking a good look at himself in the mirror, and he cared for the orphans. James is concerned not only with our behavior of what we do, but our character. Not only what we do, but the person we are becoming in Christ through the Holy Spirit. Who are you becoming like? Simon Cross says that each day has 1,440 minutes in it. We will not repeat any of it. There's no turning back time, no revisiting. And when this coronavirus is all done with, you can be assured there'll be no Groundhog Day, no Bill Murray movie. 
Some minutes are best forgotten. Some are forever cherished. Let's not try to waste too many of them. Let us put in action the word that is implanted within us. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Hear the word, do the word, care for the socially powerless in our society. And keep yourselves unstained by the world. Amen.